Because if you're going to say that you're going to be jealous. Yes. Are you coming in again? So that way I'm going to get in the key. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Respect for the Youth podcast. I'm Lily Cox. And I'm Nikki Pope. And this week we're talking about reinvention and changing direction and the benefits that it can bring to you. Our guest this morning needs very little introduction, but I will put him into his current context as the creative director of Headmasters, Andrew Barton. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You've done you ticked pretty much all the boxes in the UK hairdressing industry and beyond, I know, but winner of British Hairdressing of the Year, salon owner, um, brand ambassador, TV star, heading up the 10 Years Younger programme mm-hmm. for all that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you quite rightly hold an honorary doctorate for your services to the hairdressing industry. You've created imagery, you've spearheaded fundraising campaigns. I know you're working with the Little Princess Trust, um, and I know personally you do lots of running and cycling and supportive things. You're making me blush, Nikki. <laughs> well, I'm going to make you blush a little bit more because I had a little Google this morning. Oh, so okay. I just literally put Andrew Barton into Google and the top five entries you will be delighted to hear quite rightly and again testament to your embracing of social media and digital revolution. But the top entry is your own website, andrewbarton.com. Yep. We've then got your Twitter Feed is a second entry. Then we go on to um, a site for your products, your styling and care range. Yeah. We've got the headmaster's site, and the fifth one is your hair tools. So I can, I think there in the top five tells a really big part of the story, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it does. And I guess what social media is is just a fantastic tool to operate in business and to be able to communicate a message about where your business is heading and the ethos of it and the values of it. So um, I wouldn't say that from a business perspective or a personal perspective that I'm a social media addict, but I understand the values that it does bring and and using it as as one tool. Yeah. I mean, I I think there's a lot of noise around social media and people are putting a lot of effort into it. But I think when it comes to a salon business and the salon environment generally, um, when a woman visits a salon or a man, um, the power of recommendation is still the most powerful thing. Yeah. And I think hairdressers throughout the UK, no matter how small or how big the organisation, salon, business it is, we must never ever forget that um, clients are our best advert and it's them that will tell their friends, colleagues, family about good or bad experiences in a salon and that's what we should rely on social media is absolutely key absolutely but it's not the be all and end all no it's not the only tool and just as a very quick sort of encompassing you speak from a wealth of experience so you trained and spent a long time with the sax group Um, I trained in Yorkshire, where I'm from originally, Um, so I did a traditional apprenticeship there. I then spent a number of years in Australia and the States, and when I came back I moved to London. London's been home for well over 25 years, and I worked with the Tony and Guy organisation for a number of years, while they were in their big growth period. Um, And then I joined Saks, and at the time Saks was around 30 salons, I think we took it to around 150 during the time that I was there. And then it was time to go alone, and I had my own salon in Covent Garden for a number of years. Gorgeous. 
and that brought another experience. So it did bring another experience. Being, but you had a business partner at that point. I, a I had non-hairdressing a, business partner. Yeah, I had a non-hairdressing business partner, and we worked together on building not only the salon aspects of the brand, but also my signature hair care range, which is Asda in the yeah. UK, and we distribute in a few countries worldwide. Um, and the salon business was growing really well in Covent Garden. I really enjoyed kind of that time. Um, but for many salon owners who were up against rent increases, I had a very fateful rent increase of 46%. And it was devastating. It meant that the business was no longer viable. It yeah. meant that I had to make 30 people redundant, Gosh. which kind of, you know, I still feel very emotional about it. It nearly put me down. It nearly put me under. But I had to reinvent myself. Um, and as one small door closed for me in Covent Garden, a huge one opened when I was appointed creative director at Urban Retreat at Harrods. Yeah. Wow. And then after four years of working in that phenomenal business, one of the world's largest hair and beauty businesses, um, that independent salon base was kicked out of Harrods to say it in any other polite way. Yeah. Um, and Harrods took over the business and now run that themselves as Harrods Hair and Beauty. And I decided I didn't want to be part of that journey. Um, and another exciting opportunity for Hope and for me when I was appointed creative director at Headmasters. Yeah. Um, Headmasters, for those of you that don't know about us, we're the largest independently owned salon group in the UK. Right. I just think it's an incredible journey to go from Harrods <clears throat> to the high street and to equally be heading up the, the beauty and hair salon in, in Harrods, but equally to be selling a product range in Astra at the same time, you know, the, mm. the, the scope of people that you were able to reach in that time is, is remarkable. But would you say, Angie, that you're somebody who enjoys change? I think in, in, in life personally or professionally, uh, change is inevitable. Yeah. And it's how you kind of face that change. You know, sometimes changes happen that you don't always wish for or anticipate. <clears throat> but it's how you deal with them. Um, and, I mean, you, you know, Lily, that, you know, I'm quite into my fitness and I run. And I've said to you before that I, I running's a bit of a meditation for me. And I just find that exercise is something that keeps me emotionally and mentally sane as well as physically fit. Yeah. Um, so the physical fit bit is probably a sideline to kind of feeling emotionally and mentally well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, having that time for myself every day yeah. means that I can kind of face the challenges of wherever that day brings to the point where when I don't use exercise in my daily life, I, I don't feel as strong yeah, feel, to kind yeah, of face some of the it. challenges that happen. Yeah. But with any of those big changes, have have you actually um, engineered them? Is, are you just great at embracing things that come up? Or have you ever, as you've been running along or sitting at <laughs> home, thought, oh, I need to reinvent myself? Or is it just that's, that's the way it's happened? Luck of the draw. I don't know if I can answer it. I, I guess um, it's an approach of being half full in life rather than half empty. Um, and that's my focus really do you mean there's days when all of us feel that life is half empty um, and we just have to mentally switch that around and make it full and kind of think about what the future could look like um, so it, for me it's never about a destination it is about the journey and I know that sounds like a bit cliche but but it is and 
I, I think where I've been very, very blessed throughout my career is to have worked with some incredible individuals and teams. Yeah. Um, and, you know, working shoulder to shoulder on objectives and, and projects is, is really, really rewarding. Is that your... Do you prefer being with a team to being on your own? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I think kind of a, t- a team to me can be two or three people or 2,000 or 3,000 people. Um, you know, a team is about having a very clear objective of what you want to achieve and working towards that objective. So just recently I've taken over the Headmasters Mayfair Salon as a franchisee. So I'm now operating my own salon business again. Um, and, you know, what we're doing there, coming back to the objectives, is having some very clear objectives of what we want to deliver every single day, not steering away from those objectives, making sure the team are fully embracing them, that we've com- communicated it really clearly to them what those objectives are. Mm. Um, and I'm pleased to say that already we're seeing some incredible growth in the business by just sticking very clearly on one path and not trying to broaden and go off into we different directions. Yeah, yeah. And, and from the listener's point of view, do you mean they're probably yeah. wondering what those objectives are? Yeah. And um, it's very simple for me. I think the salon business... I think our industry sometimes makes our business of salon owners um, overly complicated and overly sophisticated. What we know is that clients are looking for three kind of main things when they visit a salon, no matter how big or small it is. They want to know which products they should use on their hair. They want to know what, what service could make them look younger, healthier, sexier, cooler. Yeah. And they also want to know when they want to come back. So I call it yeah. the three R's. It's retail, recommend service, and rebook that client in. Yeah. Um, and they're the kind of three... That's the mission that we're working on in, in my franchise salon at the moment. And do you think that's the bit that you, you seem a lot of people not getting do you think or do you think the hairdressing generally in the UK gets that or I, I think a lot of salons do but I think again I, I think we're guilty as of an industry of, of over sophisticating things mm. when what clients want is just great customer service and they want us to tell us what they should have yeah mm. I mean the amount of women that come and sit in my chair I mean I, I still stand behind the chair and see clients and I've got to say despite everything else that I do in my career um, standing behind the chair is still the most rewarding thing that I do because, um, you know, there's nothing like seeing that satisfaction and that smile on a woman's face yeah. once you've done their hair because you've not only transformed how they look but how they feel about themselves as well and I think that's a gift that we forget that we've got as hairdressers and we take people for granted sometimes and yeah. don't always remember that. And yet it's the most pivotal part of any makeover show, isn't it? Any makeover show at all is always the hair reveal. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's probably where I learned that, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Working on TV, doing makeovers, but realising that we do that makeover every single client, yeah. every single day, whether we're in a village, town or city, a tiny little village salon or a huge city centre salon. It, it's the same thing. Women come to us to, to feel like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that... It's interesting that what you were saying about the three R's for the Mayfair Salon because I think that obviously there's massive industry online to buy anything, whether it's hair products or running shoes or anything, and people are looking for recommendations. And I know a lot of stylists and colorists who work in salons are maybe like a little bit 
loathe maybe to recommend and to do that retail aspect of the job but as a consumer myself I feel like that I am overwhelmed by the choice that's out there and actually it's a a brilliant thing to be I think it's to a, be advised a, and it's so helpful it is I mean it's such an easy comparison for me it's such an easy comparison because if I went out for dinner and I've got a wonderful menu in front of me of I love it when the when the waiter yeah, kind of advises me what's the special of the day or <clears throat> kind of yeah. what he, sh- he thinks I should oh, have. For sure, like, oh, I'm tied between the lamb or the this. Well, yeah. What do you recommend? Or yeah. the, what's the best wine yeah. to go with this and, or whatever? And, and you it, do it every day. And how much better when they make it personal. Well, what kind of thing do you like? Do you like fish? Do you like meat? Well, if you're drawn to that dish, maybe I should do that. And I think even, you know, every level, we can make it more and more personal. You've, Nikki, you have just said the magic word. The future of our industry <laughs> is about personalisation. Yeah. Do you mean people can buy anything off the internet? They cannot buy the skill that we do every single day in the salon. Mm. Um, and they cannot buy that recommendation that we can give to people. Yeah. So it's about personalising that service for every single client. Yeah. And that's the future of our industry. Yeah. And, and while I'm on that horse, I've yeah, got yeah, to say yeah. as well, the future of our industry as well is about celebrating the salon hairdresser that stands behind that chair every single day looking after their clients. I think as an industry, we have got to a point where we have put session hairdressing on such a high pinnacle Mm. as the ultimate thing to be in the industry. And the ultimate thing to be in the industry is to be a fantastic hairdresser, getting a great living, a great income, and being successful in the salon. And I really celebrate the salon hairdressers up and down the country. Yeah, I think so. I think you're quite right to make that point. From the outside in, it can look as though you walk on water a bit, you know, you've got the Midas touch <laughs> to mix my metaphors. Um, but sort of, you know, from your point of view, if there have been times you thought, crikey, I've just managed to get that through the skin of my teeth, or you worked super hard to overcome something that perhaps didn't come naturally, or... Um, I. You can probably hear me pondering now. I'm going to answer that question. Um, I recently kind of made out my will. Um, And when I was leaving the lawyer's office, he said, is there anything else, Andrew, that you'd like to add to it? And I said, actually, there is. And I says, whatever happens to me in my life, whoever's kind of with me at the end, um, I just wanted to kind of say on my tombstone, well, he worked hard. And, And I think that's part of me kind of, coming from a working class family from the north of England, from Yorkshire. Um, and what was instilled into me by my parents was, you know, the value of working hard. So, um, yeah, that is a big part of what I do. But I'm trying to answer your question around well, kind of how I handle challenges. Well, I know you did touch on um, the challenge of closing the salon in mm. Covent Garden was very, tough. yeah, and very brave, very mm. brave to do the right thing for everybody and for yourself. So that was obviously a challenge, but um, you know some of the changes that you've made, whether it's creating a product line, because you started that with a business partner, but with no real experience. You were kind of doing it as independents, weren't you? So you didn't have a big company behind you when you no, started. No, I did that on my own, absolutely, yeah. And, was and that, that a massive challenge? I, I think it was a challenge, but generally I think like most listeners, do you mean we all love learning things? And for me, it was a huge learning curve to like learn about distribution and warehousing and dealing with a buyer in a supermarket yeah. chain. And, you know, it wasn't just all the exciting bits like choosing the colour of the packaging and the design and the fragrance. It, it, it was a lot more to learn about that process. So I think, getting back to your question about how do I deal with challenges, 
it, it's about the learning process and I guess I've got an inquisitive mind and, and I'm always looking for the next challenge to embrace it and to learn from it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's so exciting about my work at Headmasters is working with the team and working with the challenges that we have as a business and looking at what kind of tools we can put in place to overcome those challenges. Um, so I think challenges can be exciting. It's just yeah. how you decide to look at it. Yeah. Is it quite a challenge to go... Sorry, I'm hugging the conversation. No, it's again. fine. I you go there. It's, <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm just mesmerised. I was going to ask it, a changing direction question. Is that what you were going to Well, ask? I was just going to... Before that, I'll, and then I'll shut up. Is it, has, is it a challenge and be, you know... This is probably a bit of a rude question, but I don't mean it to be. To go from being your own name, Andrew Barton, to now being a group name. No, I I don't, and I I think it's. I think it's probably around kind of <laughs> management of ego. Right. <laughs> and I think our industry often attracts kind of quite e- egotistical behaviour. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, it does, and sometimes we need to be egotistical in order yeah. to get through, I suppose. So it's not always a bad thing, but control is probably the right word for it. Um, yeah. Or being aware that you've even got an ego. Yeah. And occasionally putting it back in its box. Yeah, and I, yes, and I guess I guess that's kind of what I'd, what I'd, I'd try to do. And, um, yeah, I'm <laughs> Good. Okay. not sure I'll answer that any further, no, but... Well, I, I, interesting i think you strike me particularly and probably nikki too from all the things that we've said on air and a little bit before that you are someone who really enjoys being part of teams Mm. anyway and i know with your product line that you did start it with your business partner and now you have sold that on and i know you're still you know kind of contracted Mm. into that but you do strike me as someone who, who enjoys being surrounded by others. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I, I love that. But also, I care very passionately about what I deliver working with those teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to make sure that um, I've delivered fantastic quality um, and, you know, great results for the team that I work with. You know, I, I see my... Whatever my job description is, um, I, I take kind of those points very seriously and consider them very seriously and then put maximum energy and effort into them to make sure that I deliver something that's of a high quality. I, th- I think it goes back to probably being a trainee hairdresser and I'm often asked words of advice and, and how I can kind of advise other people about their careers. And as a young trainee hairdresser in Yorkshire, the woman that trained me taught me that never to accept, never to accept okay as a standard. Right. And it's stuck with me ever since. Because if you think about it, if a client says it's okay when she leaves the salon, it means she's not coming back. Right. Okay. Because it's not okay. Yeah. Do you yeah. mean, and you never want to finish somebody's hair and them just say it's okay. I feel yeah. like when people ask you the question, don't they, like, how are you doing today? And you're like, well, I'm okay. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm good. It doesn't mean yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, you say just... it if you're having a great day. Yeah. yeah. So it's that thing of kind of never accepting okay as a standard. So wherever I'm doing, whatever challenge that I'm faced with, I'm always wanting to get past a level of acceptance of accepting that that's an okay standard. Mm. I want a much better standard than that. And hopefully after three decades in the industry, it's, it's why I've got a, 
good reputation mm. and the brands that I work with. Um, so with hard work, um, not not accepting okay. What other things might you have brought forward from your family or very early days? What other sort of ethic? Um, probably ambition. Um, you know, as 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 a kid, you know. My parents worked very hard. I, I was adopted as a child. And I think you know that I work a lot with the adoption and fostering charity because I believe that for me personally, without adoption, my life could have been very, very different. Um, so I think part of it is humble beginnings. You know, I mean, London's been home for many, many years, but I still kind of get a thrill going over any of the bridges in London across the Thames and feel like Dick oh, Whittington. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still looking for the streets paved with gold. I've not found them. But, um, you know, London still kind of very much excites me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I've lived away for most of my life, but I'm still very proud of my northern roots and I've never lost my Yorkshire accent. Mm. I'm very proud of that. Um, and I work with the County Yorkshire to encourage tourism and apprenticeships and commerce and um yeah so yeah very connected i was gonna ask you another question about your career um andrew just what move that you have made or change in direction has most surprised you because you as nikki said in her introduction you you seem to have more or less done everything you've got products you've got tools you've done tv you've done session you've gone um high end you've gone high street what is there a move that you you hadn't you know or a door opened up and you thought god i never thought i would end up here um no i don't think there is (laughs) because no i don't think there is because I, i think it's just that spirit of embracing change yeah that then doesn't allow for those kind of shocks or surprises yeah. do you mean it's, it's being open and being prepared yeah are to, you a big planner accept? so you're prepared to accept but are you a planner could you do you want i mean in the I'm next a, two five ten years do you know pretty much where you think you'll be uh, yeah what you want to achieve yeah right? I, I, I yeah I, I think yeah i mean definitely in terms of achievement kind of my role at headmasters is growing mm. and changing all the time um and yeah i i do i'm aware of the things that i do want to achieve in the coming years for us as a brand that's really important to me and for the people that i work with for their careers as well very important mm. um but Am I a planner? Uh, for those of you out there that know me well, then you'll know I'm a planner on paper. I'm still an old-fashioned <laughs> boy at heart, and I love stationery, and I love my diary. Um, and I'm forever writing notes about kind of... So I, I think that's part of it as well, as I do try to capture things as much as possible that are in my head. Yeah. And, and that can be provoked by conversation. It can be provoked by something that I see in a museum or a gallery creatively. Um, or lots of other ways it can be provoked often with a glass of wine it can yeah. be provoked mm. Some of our um, best ideas. yeah exactly <laughs> and do you think when you take on new things whether it's change or bring on new things you need to make space for it and have to let go of something else or do you I mean from the outside again you seem to be very good at holding on to things and be very loyal and there are mm. causes and things you've worked for that I remember you talking about 20 years ago mm. um, but you so to absorb new things, do you believe that you have to make space in them or do you believe that you can just take on as much as you can? Um, do you know, I think anybody that's got a 
busy life, a busy professional life, um, it is a bit like cooking four pots on the stove at once sometimes. But it's about giving enough time for that. It's about time management. And, you know, not that I've kind of done lots of research or management courses around time management. I can't say I have. But what I have learned to do is prioritise. And I've learned to do the things that I don't want to do first and get them over and done with. And then kind of do the stuff that I'm really excited about doing later on. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite strict and regimented about that. I'm quite disciplined around it. You know, my working office is often from home. Um, and, you know, I'm strict and disciplined about that. I get up early. I fit in exercise early. I get dressed as if I'm going to work, even though I'm working on the dining table at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm quite disciplined like that. Good. And I think that's probably part of my personality is that I am quite disciplined about things. And I think I've learned to be that because I've learned the rewards of being like that. Yeah, yeah, from experience. Absolutely. Is there anything in the hairdressing industry that you feel like you have not been able to get involved with yet that you'd like to? Well, one of the most recent projects that I'm working on um, is um, Andrew Barton London Education, abbreviated to ABLE. Oh, um, yes. Yes. Oh, see what you did there. Clever, <laughs> That's right? very nice. Very nice. Uh, that did come over a glass of wine <laughs> on a beer mat. Um, and um, for a long time, I've just got quite upset about the conversation that goes off in the industry between industry and further education colleges. Mm-hmm. And I felt that there should and could be a bridge between both uh, because. Both of us have got the same objective. Um, We want to train young people for the future of British hairdressing and train them well so that they can contribute to the economy and contribute to our salon success and businesses. So I've developed ABLE as a scholarship that runs alongside the traditional MVQ qualification in colleges, but the ABLE students also study and complete the ABLE scholarship, which is my take, a, possibly a closer link to industry's take on those MVQ standards. So this is not about taking MVQ standards on right. at all, because I think they do an incredible job. Um, but what this will hopefully do is give people, when they leave full-time education, um, more to equip them with more tools so that when they go for a job, we in industry feel like that they're better equipped and able yeah. <laughs> to be able to work in our salons. All oh, right, so it will be open to um, people doing college-based it's, training. It's only further education colleges. So this is exclusively in further education colleges and it's for full-time students or apprentices that are in salons going to further education colleges. Right. Part of the objective of this as well is to empower and inspire those people that are studying the ABLE program to bigger opportunities in the industry as yeah. well. Um, I think you make a good point because we do, you know, there's a lot of bashing goes on and we, you know, is, is in, isn't it human nature, it's easier to criticise than it is to be constructive about something but mm-hmm. we've got to get past this constant, um, you know, idea that the college-based training just isn't up to it and actually get to do something about it. Absolutely. You know, where I've learned along the way, I've made lots of mistakes. Mm. 
and face lots of challenges is consistency is key. Yeah. So for me, kind of running a salon, I have to be the same for that team of people all the time. Yeah. And sometimes I might not feel like painting that smile on. You know, what I mean that might not be how I feel inside. Um, but I think consistency in terms of management is absolutely key and. And, and certainly as a business, being consistent of what you do and deliver um, is the focus. Yeah, you have to be the rock. Brilliant. But also the, the business has to be consistent. Yeah. You know, I think if you're constantly going off on different avenues, trying to find kind of the golden kind of egg, yeah. stay on one road, stay on one path, have a look and be aware of what's happening, certainly. But I, I think the, the key is to be consistent. And, and for me, in my role as creative director at Headmasters, it's about making sure that all of our sounds, all of our teams, all those wonderful individuals all understand where our core values are as a business and making sure that they are delivered all of the time, consistently, consistently yeah. delivered. Yeah. So there he is, the master of change, talking about consistency. <laughs> yeah, that's a wrap. That's a paradox, isn't it, in <laughs> it's itself? It's a paradox, but it's an interesting one all the same. It is. Well, I think we have, there's loads to say, but I Absolutely. think our time is up. Yeah, Lily. I know. Thank, you, thank you, so you very much, much for joining us. Pleasure. Amazing. Thank you um, for the muffins as well. They were oh, very it's nice. So, it's it's the homemade and you make touch. a great brew as well. Yes, well done, Molly. I can't take credit for that one. <laughs> no, thank you. It's been absolutely joyful to have you here with us. Thank you to everyone who has been listening to the Respectfully podcast today on how to shake things up and to embrace change and new opportunities. I hope you've been inspired and you can go forth and. So I'm Nikki Pope and together with Lily Cox, my partner, we are preparing show notes for you on this week's discussion. We'd love to hear from you, so why not join in the conversation? Tell us what you think by emailing us at info at ihaa.co.uk, which will also be in the show notes. And if you are listening to us on iTunes, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It helps others to find us and makes us feel confident we're doing the right thing. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear what people have got to say as well. So if ever we want to do a live broadcast, oh, I'd yeah. be more than up for having a chat with people Absolutely. as well. You see, you've changed the podcast. We <laughs> we're not on radio. <laughs> Great. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.